Amen. Amen. Good to see all of you. You may be seated. Great to have you all here on this holiday weekend. I know many of our folks are traveling, but we might have some visitors with us today, and we're glad to have you. And then I wanted to remind everyone that we've got uh, many of our youth and youth leaders away on a youth retreat this weekend. So uh, if you think about them, continue to be praying for them. They don't get back till tomorrow uh, from the youth retreat as well. And we'll save a couple of the other announcements until the end of the service. We want to dive into the message this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. As we continue our series in the great letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonian Christians at Thessalonica. And uh, a couple weeks ago, before we uh, sort of did that standalone message last week on God's encouragement for us, we were talking about serving the Lord. And I want you to continue to think along that vein, because that's exactly what Paul continues to talk to them about uh, in this passage today. And I want us then to take the Word of God, and I want us to think about it in the context of our service to God. Right now even, what does that look like? Am I serving God? Uh, What does that service look like? And am I open to what God wants me to be doing as I serve Him? When Jesus was talking to the woman from Samaria, Jesus said, God is looking for true worshipers. And Jesus goes on to define for us that a major aspect of our worship of God is our service to God. That in God's mind, I cannot be a true worshiper. I cannot be worshiping God as I should, as a child of God, as one who has been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ and given eternal life as a gift unless my life is reflecting continual service for God. And so we're going to talk about that today as Paul continues to sort of detail his own and his companions' own service as they came into the town of Thessalonica and they planted this church. I want to spend, my plan is, doesn't always work out this way, But my plan is to spend about one-third of the message this morning on the dynamic of spiritual service and spend two-thirds of the message on the design of spiritual service because that's really what God, I think, impressed upon me that I needed to get and I needed to be reminded of and I needed to hear. And it was that part of this passage that I believe God wanted me to focus on in sharing that with you. So we're not going to spend as much time in verses 5 through 10, but I do want to go down through those verses because obviously they are important and they talk to us about the dynamic of spiritual service. And basically what Paul is revealing here in this part of the passage is first of all about his intentions or motivations. And before we even look at that, here's one of the things that God reminded me of as I started to look at at Paul's description of their service in Thessalonica. That many times in my own life over the years as a Christian, 
and even in interacting with other Christians, many times we have to be careful that even our service for God, in a sense, is not self-serving. In other words, are we truly serving to, to do this for the Lord and to profit and benefit others? Or are we, like many times as Christians, caught up in serving others, but somehow we're doing it for how it sort of boomerangs back on us? In other words, some Christians serve at certain times in their life because it's, it's a way for them to try to cope with life and the, cir- the circumstances of life. So they throw themselves into service, just like some people throw themselves into their work as a way of escape. Some Christians throw themselves into service as a way to soothe their guilty conscience over something. Some Christians, you know, serve in order to get attention, in order to, you know, uh, be seen and, and to get praise from people and all of that. Um, some people serve in order to, uh, you know, be in control and, and, and be in control of others. And so there's all kinds of different motivations, if you will, and intentions for why we serve. But notice beginning in verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians 2... What Paul says, he says, we never appeared with flattering speech, you know, with with sort of false praise to gain an advantage or leverage in a person's life, as you know, nor did we come to you in Thessalonica with a pretext for greed, literally a, a cloak of covetousness. And covetousness can simply be defined as a desire to always have more. One who is never satisfied, never content, and always looking for more out of a situation or out of others rather than what we give. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. Then he says at the end of verse 5, God is our witness. They were always mindful of the fact that God was mindful of them as they served before his face always. God is very uh, acutely aware of our lives and what we are doing to serve Him and how we are serving Him. Even the motivations and intentions of our heart. Are we serving out of pure motives or is there some other you know, reason, if you will, uh, or intent driving our service? And then he goes on in verse 6 to say, Nor did we seek glory from people. Our primary aim in serving was not to, you know, be praised and honored by people, either from you or from others. Then in verse 7, he sort of changes from talking about our motivation and intentions to our humility. He says, although we could have imposed our weight as apostles... Although we could have come into Thessalonica and sort of put down, you know, uh, imposed who we were on you, he said, we didn't do that. In fact, he said, we became like little children. What's Paul mean by that? He means we were unassuming. Uh, We were laid back. We were down to earth. You know, even though we were the apostles of Christ, we didn't walk into town and go like, well, we're here. 
Look at us. We're the apostles of Christ. What Paul's saying here reminds me through my years of church ministry how, you know, pastoring different churches, I'd have Christians come into the church and one of the first things they would say to me as a pastor is, well, don't you know who I am? And of course, I'm thinking, no, I really don't, but I'm sure you're going to get ready and tell me who you are. You know, and then they would, you know, share with me all the, you know, all their credentials and all this kind of stuff. And I guess I was supposed to be impressed. See, Paul said, no, no, that, that's not being a servant of Christ. We were the apostles and we didn't act that way. When we went somewhere, we just acted like little children. We, we didn't try to throw our weight around. That's no way to serve. You, you and I need to follow their example. We always need to be humble. And then Paul, beginning in the middle of verse 7, talks about how they had such true, genuine care for these people in Thessalonica. How they had such a strong love for them. And that's really important. Again, when we serve, are we serving because we truly love other people? Or again, is it some other reason? Paul says, we became like little children among you. And like a nursing mother, we cared for you like a mother would her own children. We, we gave you tender care. We nourished you. We cherished you. And then he goes on in verse 8 to say, with such affection. The word in the original means a strong, fervent love for you, Paul says. We were happy to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Literally, you had become beloved or special to us. Now, I think verse 8 is really now the, the summary verse of this whole idea of the dynamic of spiritual service. Paul sums it up. What is that dynamic of spiritual service in verse 8? It is simply this. The word share means to give. And Paul is saying, here's the dynamic of true spiritual service. When you and I are in that place with God, and really with others, where our service is all about giving And not about getting. It's not about taking. It's not about we're serving for what we can get out of you. Whether it's we make ourselves feel good or because you pat us on the back and all of these things. No, no, no. We truly came to you. And we came with good, pure motives and intentions. We came to you in humility. We didn't throw our weight around as apostles of Christ. And we came to you with genuine love and care. God is our witness, Paul says. He knows our hearts. It was all about coming to Thessalonica because of what we could give, not what we could get. That's the dynamic of spiritual service. And remember, this is on the heels of what Paul already has said and what the Thessalonians already knew, which was in the previous town before they came to Thessalonica, they were all stripped naked and beaten with rods in a public square. And so it would have been very easy for Paul and the other apostles to say, 
Uh, we're not doing that again. We're not putting ourselves out there again. We're not giving anymore. It's time for us to take care of ourselves. It's time to start taking from others rather than giving. And Paul says, no, a true servant of Jesus Christ, a, a true model of spiritual service, one who is living by the dynamic of spiritual service, it's all summed up in verse 8. And in fact, I want you to look at this word or these words. We were happy to share with you not only the gospel, but our own lives. The words we were happy speaks about a joyful, deliberate choice. Paul's saying we made a choice to give of ourselves. And I love that. He says, look, we didn't just come and share with you the word of God and teach you the word of God. We came to give of our very lives to you. That's the dynamic of spiritual service. It's not just about giving the things that we can give and somehow holding our own lives back. The dynamic of spiritual service is we give it all. We put our all in there. We give of ourselves, not just out of what we have, if you will. Not just our talents and our treasure and our resources and all of that. But true service is giving of us to others. Now, how can someone, even a Christian, be in that place to live by that dynamic? Only when our acceptance and our security has already been settled with God. In other words, when you and I get to a place where because we understand we've been accepted by God and we are secure in Him, then we can truly give ourselves to others in that way. When we're still struggling with our own acceptance by God, and when we're not secure in our own relationship with God then we will not have the, the freedom, really, to be able to truly give of ourselves in that way. Because somehow we're going to look at other human beings for what they can give us, and really it's only what God could give us. Because we look at other human beings as a way to complete us, or fulfill us, or satisfy us in some way, and that kind of dynamic can only be accomplished through a relationship with God. Only God can fulfill. Only God can satisfy. Only God can complete us. Human beings can complement us, but they can never complete us like God can. And so Paul here is revealing that's where we were. And we could do that because we were totally accepted by God. We were totally secure in God, so we were able to give everything that we had to others. That's why I love the beginning of Psalm 23, one of the most familiar passages in all the Bible, where David the shepherd says, if the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If I'm truly surrendering my life to following my shepherd, then I'm looking to my shepherd Jesus to take care of me, fulfill me, satisfy me completely, which means then I don't have any wants in my life because anything that I would want, it's going to come from him anyway and it's going to go through him. So that means I can totally then be free to give of myself completely to others, knowing that if I have anything that I need, I'll look to God to give that to me, but I won't look out at others. I'll just be there to give to them. That's the dynamic of spiritual service. And then, of course, Paul goes on to say 
in verse 9. You recall in Thessalonica, brothers and sisters, our toil. (laughs) That word's a great word. It literally means the blows that we took for you. Are we willing to take blows (laughs) in serving others? And then he says drudgery. That speaks of the hardship that they endured in Thessalonica. By working night and day so as not to impose a burden on any of you. They didn't want to press too heavily on the Thessalonians when they first got there. As they preached to them the gospel of God. Then in verse 10 he says, you are witnesses. And so is God. How holy, righteous, and blameless our conduct was toward you who believe and are trusting in God. He's saying not only when we came, did we come with good motivation. Not, not only when we came did we come in humility. Not only when we came did we come with genuine love for you, but we came out of great reverence and respect for our God. And our conduct was always with that in mind. That every move we made, every, everything that we said, we knew would be a reflection upon our God. And so we made sure because we respected and reverenced God so much that our conduct was above reproach. That it would not cause others to sort of pause or question our behavior in any way as servants of Jesus Christ so that they would be willing to receive what God sent us there to do. So in verses 5 through 10, Paul has shared with us the dynamic of spiritual service Primarily summed up in verse 8, where he talks about the fact that when we came, we were happy to share not only the gospel, not only the word of God, but our own lives. We made a choice to give, to share of ourselves with you all. That's the dynamic of spiritual service. Not to be in it to get Not to be in it to take, but to be in service to truly give. To give. And then in verse 11 and 12, in these last couple verses we're going to look at this morning, Paul talks about the design of spiritual service. That God has certain designs, if you will, goals in mind in serving him. And I want you to look at the first one in verse 11. Paul says, as you know, we treated each of you as a father treats his own children, exhorting and encouraging and insisting that you live in a way worthy of God who calls you to his own kingdom and his glory. There's three designs in these two verses I would like to bring out today that God really challenged me with to keep in mind as I seek to serve him and ones that I think God wanted me to share with you today. The first design I will sum up in this way. It's all about preparing or preparation. Preparing or preparation. Many Christians, they try to sort of get all prepared first. And then they say, when I get to a certain place or a certain level and I feel prepared, then I start serving. 
God says, you missed the design of spiritual service. The design of spiritual service is you start serving me and then you and I understand that as we serve, through our service, we become prepared for what we're going to face. We get this design out of why Paul talks about You know when he says we came, we treated you as a father would treat his own children. What then again is Paul saying there? He's using that dynamic of the father-child relationship to talk to us about preparation. You see, in the Bible, and this is where we as fathers are going to be challenged today. Mothers obviously have a huge role in the raising of children, okay? No doubt about that. Moms are very important. But you and I as fathers, as husbands, need to acknowledge and recognize that we before God are the spiritual leaders of our homes. Not the mother, not the wife, the husband. The father is to be the spiritual leader of the home. And as the spiritual leader, one of our primary duties or roles as a father is to make sure that our children aren't pampered as we raise them, but they are prepared. That we make sure that our children are prepared to handle life when they leave our home. And the reason why this is so important is you and I know that take, take even the Christian message out of it. Take Christianity out of it for a moment. You and I know we live in a world today where homes are producing children that are ill-prepared and ill-equipped to handle life. We are throwing generations of children out there in this world and they can't handle life. They are not prepared for what life will bring them. Because many Christian parents, sadly, try to shield their children from the realities of life so that when they do get out there, somehow, you know, I guess they think that they're going to always be there to be able to shield them and they're not prepared. They're not prepared. And even though, obviously, mothers have a huge role in preparing children as well, the reason why Paul talked about fathers, and notice the verbs that he uses here. Fathers should be those with their children who exhort them. It means to admonish and entreat them. Fathers should be those who encourage their children. It means to comfort, console, and it also means to calm their children. And then insisting speaks about beseeching and charging their children to live a certain way, to go down a certain path. Why are fathers to do that? Because our role and responsibility before God is to make sure that when our children do leave home and get out there in the world, they're prepared and equipped for what life will bring to them. And what Paul is saying here is, 
we adopted that same sort of philosophy as spiritual servants of God in spiritual service for God. That when we interacted with other people and other believers who were trusting in God and in His gospel and in His word and they were growing, we wanted to be like a father and they like children. And we weren't there to pamper them. We were there to prepare them for what the world was going to be like. Too many churches today They're not truly preparing their people for the demands of this world. And that's what we are called on to do. That's part of the design of spiritual service. If you and I are in service for God, doing it His way, then you and I should, as we serve Him, feel like we're becoming more equipped and more prepared to handle life, not less. If, if somehow we don't feel like we're being prepared as we serve God. And remember, as we serve, through our service. If as a Christian, you're not serving God, then you are going to be ill-prepared and equipped because one of the designs that God had for service was it through Christian service, through serving Him, by serving Him, we would be prepared. The next word that sums up a design of spiritual service is the word demonstrate. Again, Paul says in verse 12, As a father treats his own children, we were exhorting and encourage you and insisting that you live in a way worthy of God. Now this doesn't mean to merit our life with God. You and I can't merit our life with God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our life in God is a gift. But when Paul is saying, we wanted to insist that you live in a way worthy of God, what's it mean to live in a way then worthy of God? It means to demonstrate continually through serving God that God truly lives in us. That's what spirit that's one of the designs of spiritual service to demonstrate if you to reflect to others that God is doing this and not us. If you and I are involved in serving the Lord in some way but other people sense more that it's what we're doing. It's what we're doing on our own. It's what we're accomplishing. And we really don't even need God to accomplish it. And we're figuring all this out. And we're using our own wisdom. And we're serving in our own strength. Then where's God in the equation? It's like years ago, one of the most convicting things I ever heard was that Moody Church in Chicago, and I was there for a pastor's conference. And one of the speakers got up and said to a room full of pastors, if you were to go back to your church and you start to evaluate all the people and all the ministries and all the service that was going on in your church, how much of the service in your church would truly you say, from your perspective, be accomplished only through the power and and ministry of the Holy Spirit, and how much is just done because we as human humans did it on our own. 
And see, part of our, the design of service is to be serving in such a way that other people go, well, that's not them. That's God working through them. See, I'm very conscious of that as the pastor of this church, especially, say, on a Sunday morning and a Wednesday. I don't want anyone coming to the Oasis and seeing me serve the Lord in this capacity in my teaching ministry and walk away from here and go, well, that Jeff Royce, he's, he's a rather accomplished speaker. No, I hope not. I hope that when people get around me and view what I do to try to serve the Lord in different ways, that they would walk away going, God, God was helping him. He, he couldn't do that on his own. That, that's evidence. That's demonstrating that God is in him. And God is doing this through Jeff. Jeff's not doing this. God is. And that's the way we're all supposed to serve. We're supposed to serve at such a level that when other people view it, it goes back to God and not that. It's a demonstration. I mean, what good is it to have the very life of God and the very person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit living within us, if other people don't see it through our service? That's what it means to live worthy of God. It's talking about not squandering, if you will, our spiritual resources and opportunities. I mean, these are things that Jesus talks a lot about in the parables. How God has, has given these things to us and he's going to come back someday and, and going to see what did we do with all of the things that he gave us? Are, are we using the resources that he gave us and the opportunities to demonstrate who he is through us? Or is it more about showing other people what we can do? I love being part of a church and part of leadership in a church where our leaders are very conscious of that and they, they want that to be true. From the co-leading worship to Crystal leading our children's ministry to Pastor Chad with our youth ministry to our elders who are here to our ministry leaders. Their desire, if you would hear their hearts, isn't to... to to show others this is what we can do, but this is what God can do through our lives. By doing that, then that should encourage other Christians. If God can do this through me, then God can do that through you. And it's never about what we can do on our own, but what God can do. That's living in a, life, living in a way worthy of God. Each one of you who are here today, if you are a Christian, then the Bible teaches that you are a gift to the body of Jesus Christ. You are a gift. And then beyond that, you have been given gifts, spiritual gifts. And then beyond that, God obviously has blessed you with maybe some natural abilities and talents and temperaments and all of these things. And God says, are you using all these things that I created you with and gave to you and blessed you with so that when others see your life and your service, especially for me, it's demonstrating me and what I can do? Or 
what we can do. That's why God calls us to serve beyond our own capacities. To be involved in things that are maybe overwhelming to us or beyond us because God doesn't want it to look like, well, this is what I can do. Who needs God? If our service for God is all about what you and I can do, and even at the Oasis, if what we've done for the last almost six years of our existence and what we will do on in the future is just getting together a bunch of really smart people in a room and we're all figuring this out and we're all just sort of pulling our own resources and stuff and then later on we go, this is what we accomplished? That's not spiritual service. Spiritual service is where we as Christians come together and where people look and go, God must have done that. God did that. Not us. That's living in a way worthy of God. And then that leads to the last thing that Paul says here in verse 12. He says, we came to you as a father would his own child, exhorting, encouraging, and insisting that you live in a way worthy of God who calls you to his own kingdom and his glory. Paul's saying, you realize as a Christian, you have a share in the kingdom of God and a share of his glory in your life. And Paul's saying, this isn't something that you have to wait on. This is something you and I can experience right here and now. So the third word that sort of sums up this whole design of spiritual service. Beyond preparing and beyond demonstrating is the word investing. Investing. God calls us. And that word call speaks about a personal and continuous call. God is personally and continually calling us. Won't you share in my kingdom and glory? Won't you make your investments in my kingdom and glory? And the reason God continually calls us to do that is because there are many other kingdoms and other kinds of glory that are always competing for our allegiance. Let me repeat that. There are other kingdoms and other kinds of glory that are always competing for our allegiance, even as children of God. And we can either choose to invest in our own kingdoms or some other worldly kind of kingdom, or we can choose to invest through our service in God's kingdom and glory. It's exactly what Jesus was talking about in the Gospels when he says to his followers, won't you build up treasure for yourself in heaven rather than on earth? Shouldn't you invest in eternity and make your service for me all about investing in eternal things and in my kingdom and glory. Because if you and I do invest in our own kingdom on earth or someone else's kingdom on earth, where's that going to get us? Isn't that the story of, of the rich young man with Jesus? Whenever Jesus was talking to his followers, he said, hey, there was this rich young guy. And he didn't care about God's kingdom or glory at all. All he cared about was building up his own kingdom. And he had so much stuff that he had to keep adding storage to, to you know, haul it all. And Jesus says, God came to him and said, you're a fool. Because tonight, your soul is required of you. 
And where's your kingdom going to get you tonight when your soul's required? See, God calls us to reject the competing kingdoms and glory that, that fight for our allegiance and try to distract us from investing in God's kingdom and God's glory all the time. In fact, to illustrate this, you can leave First Thessalonians because we're going to end back here in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, this morning. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. Even Jesus, while he was on earth, dealt with this. In the middle of his temptation by Satan, notice beginning in Luke chapter 4, verse 5, that the Bible says the devil led even Jesus up to a high place and showed him in a flash all the kingdoms of the world. He said to him, To you I will grant this whole realm and the glory that goes along with it. Notice what the devil says next. For it has been relinquished to me. It means surrendered. Who surrendered the kingdoms of this world and their glory to Satan? We did. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, because it was always God's intent that when he created us, we would rule over the kingdoms of the world. We would have dominion. That would be our role. And we lost that. We surrendered this world to Satan through sin. So that's why the Bible says, Satan is the God of this world. That's why Jesus calls us not to invest in this world or in worldly kingdoms or in our own or anything of this earth, but to invest in his kingdom and glory. And Satan was tempting Jesus with the very same thing. Notice what Satan goes on to say. And the glory that goes along with it, for it has been relinquished to me and I can give it. I can offer these kingdoms of the world and their glory to anyone I wish. Can I tell you, for the last couple thousand years, that's exactly what Satan does in people's lives? Hey, don't invest in God's kingdom. That's so far away. That's so nebulous. Invest in this down here. And I love, obviously, the response of Jesus. Satan goes on in verse 7 to say, So then if you will worship me... All this will be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you are to worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Notice again that Jesus connects worship and service. Because one of the greatest ways that you and I can worship God is through our service. By the way, the word worship here literally means to adore. We are to adore, adoration, the Lord our God and serve only Him. And the word serve here speaks about serving as an expression of our worship. In fact, this word many times is translated worship in the New Testament other than serve. It's used interchangeably. That's how close service and worship are to God. 
So that's why at the beginning of this message, I wanted us to start thinking about our service. First of all, the dynamic of our service. Are we serving God at all? And if so, are we serving, as Paul says in verse 8, to give, and not just to give out of what we have, but to truly give of ourselves to others. God calls us to do that. That's the dynamic of spiritual service. And then beyond that, God says there's some designs in spiritual service. As you and I serve, not that we get prepared and then volunteer and step up to serve, God says, you step up and start serving me in some way, and you will find out that as you serve me through your service, I will prepare you for what you will face. Another design is to reflect or demonstrate that God is within us, and that we have someone and something much greater than ourselves operating within us in our lives. That as we serve, people can see God, not us. And then finally, the last design of spiritual service is all summed up by the word investing. God continually calls us through our service to invest in his kingdom and his glory because he's offered us a share in his kingdom and his glory. And he doesn't want us to settle for the devil's tricks of trying to get us, you know, to to share our allegiance or to get our allegiance off of God's eternal kingdom and glory and to somehow start investing in our own little earthly kingdoms and the kingdoms of this world. Because one day, folks, as the book of Revelation says, the kingdom of this world will one day become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And you and I will reign in that kingdom forever and ever. Don't settle by investing your life in the kingdoms of this world. They won't last. God calls us to invest in his kingdom and glory. That's the design of spiritual service. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. The song we're going to end with today talks about God calling us out on those waters. Maybe going somewhere we've never went with Him, but to trust Him as He calls us to come out with Him. We as believers in Jesus Christ, it is our obligation, if we truly worship the Lord, to serve. What does our service look like? How are we serving? This, to me, is all about evaluating our service for God. God is looking for true worshipers. And a big aspect of our worship is our service for God. Let's stand. Before we sing this song this morning, let's close in prayer. God, I pray today that you have captured and grabbed the hearts of your followers here today in this place. That God, we will realize that we need to serve. That you call us, God, to give of ourselves to benefit and profit others. That this life in you is not about us. It's about 
It's about living for you and living for others more than living for ourselves. And so, God, I pray today that once again here at the Oasis, there would be those that would just say, yeah, that's what I want my life to be. It's been too much about me lately and what I can get and, and what I can take from others and not enough about laying down my life and giving of myself to others. Lord, we remember your words to your disciples. Greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. John 15, verse 13. God, may we answer the call that you are placing on our lives right now to get up, to get out, to step out of that boat, to get out on that water and serve you, to give up ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.